Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here joined this week by friend of the show, John E.L. Tenney. John, how's it going, man? Good, man. Good to hear you. I'm glad all the technology is working. I know, right? It's so exciting when it finally works out. You know, I actually saw a crazy um I saw a crazy thing today that made me made me think about you. Um, you know, so obviously we're on the show following all of the wacky turns and trails and stuff of the QAnon conspiracy theory, um, <laughs> you know, kind of with bated breath, right? But one thing, one thing that's been really interesting seeing it kind of get folded in there is occult stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It sort sure. of, yeah, it sort of happened. It sort of started happening out of nowhere in my mind. You know, I guess there's always been this feeling on the. I mean, it makes sense, right? The the QAnon stuff seems to be more of a sort of right wing thing. And, and the farther right wing you get, the more religious you tend to get, it seems. But the thing I saw today was essentially that the the whole thing about QAnon is they are trying to help stop the technocracy from taking over because at the end and beginning of the universe is a a computer satanic AI kind of like idiot God kind of thing. <laughs> and <laughs> there was this whole, it was a whole thing on, um, it was a whole thing on Reddit today and I was reading and I was just like, Oh my goodness. And it got, it got so deep, you know, and people, it's some dude posted on 4chan, you know, and people were like, well, where, you know, where, where does the sun come into this? And the guy's like, well, the sun is the sign of Sonos. And, oh, yeah. you know, it just got, it got super deep, super quick. And it, you know, uh, but, oh, I mean, boy. That's, that's the problem, right? Like whenever you have, I mean, obviously our, our society has all of these kind of esoteric situations and, and personalities that have this information that's supposed to be guarded with secrecy and talked and whis- whispered tones. And so anybody can use it to direct it in whatever manner they want because it's secret and they can claim to have the absolute knowledge as to how it works. And so you can warp and twist it years ago when I used to do stand-up comedy, I used to do this. Uh, there's no way I would be able to remember it now, but it was about how I started my comedy bit as like this, uh, somewhat conservative liberal. And I would start talking about like, we really need to have, uh, we need to help out our neighbors and we need to look out for what's best for everyone in humanity. And very quickly, I would get to the point of like, and, and if someone is not helping humanity, we need to round them up and put them in a cage. And if they're not like us, and before you knew it, I was like this hardcore right. And then I would get super hardcore right. And I'd be like, because those are the people that are trying to keep us from shifting the paradigm where Gaia wants us to be. And I make the transition right into far left liberal new age thinking. And it all seemed very flowable. <laughs> It's hilarious, man. Oh, boy. Are there recordings of your stand-up, man? Those have been sweet. Uh, I try not to. This is one of the things I was actually talking to someone on Twitter about today. I don't ever really record anything aside from radio shows and podcasts. Sure. I feel like what I do for a living is so ethereal, and the things that I talk about are so tenuous at best, that when I concrete them, when I record my lectures or videotape them, they lose something. I don't know what that is, but in my brain, it's like these things are supposed to be talked about and thought about. And the next time we get together, they should be different. I, I, I get that. You know, I, I, I hear that. We actually, it's funny in my, 
in my real sort of day-to-day job, I I train people to do different things and whatever. You know, it doesn't really matter the the exactness of the thing itself, but there's something to be said about being in the room with people. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. having that because otherwise you're just uh, I don't know. You're just a voice. You know, and it's and it's what techno Satan wants. You know, so it's just it's hard to keep up with that. So actually, let's you know we kind of delved right in here just because I'm so excited to talk to you, but uh, talk to you on the show finally here. Why don't you give people a little bit of background here on you? And actually, I love I, I really love this quote from your website um, from Real Detroit Weekly. Right, a Renaissance man whose eclecticism and open mindedness have gained him a broad degree of recognition and respect. Man, that is just whoever wrote that killing it. It might have been me. <laughs> no, um, uh, yeah, it was just this writer who came. What he wanted to do a story about this, you know, a local crazy guy who talks about monsters and UFOs and the occult and ghosts. And after we sat down and talked for two or three hours, he like had completely changed his mind about me. And I think that that happens a lot when we deal with each other face to face or we have you know some sit down coffee talk time like we realize that maybe crazy people that we think are crazy aren't so crazy but my history is pretty simple i never thought that i would be doing this i was a 16 year old kid hanging out punk rock kid at denny's and i saw this guy with a bunch of papers in front of him late one night and i started talking to him and he explained that he was uh, going to Wayne State University in Detroit, and he was specializing in political history with a focus on political assassinations of the 1960s and 70s. And so I asked him if I could help him with anything, and he said yes. And so yeah, he started teaching me how to do paperwork and writing FOIA requests. And when he eventually would have a lecture that he couldn't make, I would give the lecture for him. And so I was doing these lectures on JFK and RFK, Malcolm X, the Black Panther Party, Fred Hampton. And when I was 18, I had a heart attack and died. And when I kind of recovered from that experience, I thought to myself, oh, I have kind of these research and investigation tools. Like maybe I'll start looking into like the folklore and the belief systems of people because I had, you know, a a weird experience. It just happens to some people when they die. And so I started going to college and I thought I would be a history teacher with a major in folklore. And about a year into college, a friend of mine asked uh, if I wanted to work for Unsolved Mysteries. This is in 1992. And so I quit college and worked on Unsolved Mysteries for a couple of years and then just kind of never looked back. Man, it's it's funny. I think a lot of kids when they um, and, and I don't say this just because you're on the show here, but a lot of kids, I think, when they get into this stuff and they think about, you know, well, how can I turn this into a career or, or you know, you know, I, I remember very vividly my family thinking it was hilarious that I wanted to be a uh, like a demonologist priest. You know, I, mean? yeah. you know I, I distinctly remember my mom being like, okay, you know what I mean? And then I wanted to be a UFO hunter and then I wanted to be a, a scientist. Right. And I think that I'm sure my mom in her, in her, in her head or in her, you know, meetings with the other moms is like, thank God he settled on scientists. He just does that UFO crud in the, you know, as a right. side thing. Right. But like, turns out what I wanted to be when I grew up was essentially what you what you were, you know what I mean? And what you are, like what you do, you know, it's like, Oh, I wanted to be, I wanted to be Tenny. I didn't realize that. That's so weird. Um, I'll tell you what's really strange for me is what sets me apart. I think sometimes in this field 
uh, or I, I don't know, I call it a field, but it's, I mean, that's a loose term, right? Um, people always ask me like, well, when did you see your first ghost or when did you see your first UFO? Like what sparked you to, to get into this field? And it's like, I didn't, I don't have that. Like people have these stories of being like three years old and, and being abducted by aliens or like they were, you know, two and a half and a ghost lift me out of my crib. And I was like, no, I was just like this punk rock kid who didn't like people telling me what I was supposed to think about. Right. I just kind of, right. You liked it for the, what's the word? It wasn't a personal connection. It's more about the, it's more about the way of thinking. It's more, I, I think, I think in some ways it's kind of an interesting turn because, you know, like you, and we talk about this on the show all the time, you know, I've had a lifelong fascination with this stuff. I've, you know, when I was a kid, I, I had kind of an odd, an odd tangential way of getting here. When I was a kid, I had experiences that I think as a kid, I would have considered to be frightening and scary and potentially kind of, um, you know, weird. Right. right. And then as I got older, I kind of real, you know, you just realized like, oh, you know, my family is predisposed to sleep apneas and right. <laughs> my brain doesn't get enough oxygen. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if I don't go to sleep with like a nose strip on or, a, you know, if I don't get enough oxygen at night, I'll sleep and I'll wake up. But I'm going to have some terrible dreams. Sure. You know, some of them are, some of them are going to seem super real. It's kind of an interesting thing. You know, coming from it, coming at it from that perspective of, I'm looking for this stuff, but I've never had an experience. Would you would you say like the weirdest thing ever happened to you then? Or so up to that point of you deciding to do this, was the weirdest event kind of that uh, that heart attack and and what kind of followed after that? I mean, not really. It's it's funny because I don't consider like when people say like what was your first weird experience? Like, I don't even consider those childhood and teenage weird experiences weird because as a child and as a teenager, like you were just saying, like, I don't really understand what was happening. Like when I was 15 years old, a, a girl that I was dating at the time had said her house was haunted. And I was the only person that she knew who read about ghosts. So she wanted me to get the ghosts out of her house. Like there wasn't, I don't think Ghostbusters had even come out at that point, but I walked around in her house with like a Bible and some white candles and like, cause all I had ever seen were like horror movies and red DC's house of mystery. And I was like, I, I guess this is how you do it. Like, I guess. And so it's like, I have those experiences, but the like truly weird experiences to me are when I used to skip high school, uh, I was, a, I was bad at skipping high school. So I would, skip high school and go to the library and I would read in the library. Um, <laughs> and I made friends with this old man who would sit there across from me and he would talk to me about uh, life and death and uh, how there was no heaven or hell. And we have to like live the way that we are right now. Cause it's, we have one shot and that guy ended up being Jack Kevorkian. Oh man. So it's like, I think when people say like, what's the weird thing that kicked you off into thinking really strangely or, or sparked your interest? I think it was those conversations, you know, at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday, sitting across from Jack Kevorkian as he was formulating how he was going to assist people with suicides. Yeah. And that's fascinating. Dang. That's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting the way, I mean, you've now talked to, I mean, you've talked to thousands of people, I'm sure, about their own weird experiences. Yes. Right? Yes. Anything in particular that you felt – so one thing I get asked a lot is how has getting involved in these circles, how has that made you feel about the validity of the thing? 
right? So I joke, I joke with my wife because my wife is always freaked out about, um, is always terrified of UFO movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a big thing, alien and UFO movies. And I, I oftentimes will tell her, you know, if you just come to me, if you just come with me to one of these, uh, one of these meetings, you will not be scared of those movies anymore. <laughs> right. You know, because it, it it goes from you know. It, and, and of course, like for every, you know, 99 people that you talk to who are like, yeah, OK, I'm sure that I'm sure Bigfoot landed in your backyard and, you know, he's got a family now, but he's still his ship is there and whatever. For every one of those people, there's or every every 99 of those people. There's one person who comes to you and is like, you know, in tears, like, I don't know what happened to me. I'm freaked out. I can't sleep. You know, and you're right. just like, oh, crap, I don't have the I don't even have the tools to deal with that, you know. Um, but ultimately I would say for myself, at least the UFO subject, the more and more I research it, the less and less I think I know about it, you know, or the less and less sure I am of what's going on. Um, for is there, are there any topics like that for you that you feel like or after investigating them or knowing about them for so long, they've kind of changed their, you've changed your opinion on them? Oh yeah. I mean, I used to have fairly solid ideas about ghosts and ufos and bigfoot and creatures and witchcraft and the occult and and god and the devil and the nature of reality and all the research i've ever done has ever uh done to change my ideas is to give me ideas and break me away from my personal belief systems like i understand now that i don't understand any of this Uh, right (laughs) Like, it is so strange to me because there's a part of me that wants to, and I think this happens a lot in the UFO community, there's a, there's a lot of parts of me where I want to take a body of experiences. So, like, I've been dealing right now, I'm writing this thing about uh, some creature encounters in Michigan in 2008, and I've been looking at them as a whole because... They happen around the same time. They happen within a year of each other. It's 32 experiences, even though it's all over the state of Michigan. And my brain wants to formulate a pattern for that, right? Or say that something was happening. Hmm. But what I have to pull back and remember is that I think one of the odd things about ghosts and UFOs and the experiencers of those phenomena is that they are highly individualistic they really can't be categorized and classified. It's a one-time experience. And there's a part of me that seriously rebels against that because it's like, well, it has to be contained within some type of environment which can be measured and and qualified and quantified. But there's another part of me that's like, no, this is some one incident that happened to one person and it will never happen to that person again, probably. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then I can't collect a data set on it. Right. It becomes more of a, you know, it's from coming from a coming from a philosophy kind of background. It's a very interesting question, because like you said, it does it sort of flies in the face of what we would consider to be, you know, kind of classical, uh, you know, classical notions of of scientific process and how we learn about the world. Right. Of kind of an empirical, um, you know, uh, empirical experience-based notion of how you learn things or how you know things right? versus almost more of a, you know, it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder almost if, you know, looking at the historical cases of say, you know, ghost sightings and things, or, you know, um, even, you know, strange things in the sky, right? Something that I think a lot of people would consider to be 
more uh, mechanical or more of a, you know, we're all of this stuff is getting bastardized over time. We're turning it all into physical material kind of stuff. But it's so fascinating to me to think that just with a different worldview, these things would appear, you know, I'm not sure that I'm not so sure that say a, a, you know, an Athenian living during the time of say Plato would, would even worry about the inability to quantify these experiences. You know what I mean? Yeah. The fact that that's our first knee jerk reaction is very, very interesting. And I think very telling about the way we look at these things in the world. Uh, a friend of mine who is, uh, I can't, she's a scientist and she works at a well-known particle accelerator. How's that? Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, we were having a discussion and I was telling her about this case where, uh, somebody had seen a very strange object in the sky and I have some NDAs with clients and stuff. So I'm being, I'm talking a little bit in circles, but I, I was talking to her about it and I said, you know, and then this, this object rose up off of the ground and then immediately slummed back into the ground. And I go like, what, what do you think? What, what prop, what pro properties could that object have had? And she looked at me and it was very funny to come from, uh, a scientist who is hard science and she looked at me and she kind of smiled and she said maybe the gravity right there wasn't working <laughs> interesting and i was like yeah. i was like what and she's like maybe that maybe there was just a time when gravity didn't work right there for some reason well you know it's it is such a funny <laughs> I, it's true though right we have these kind of preconceived notions of like you said before the kind of box that we think these things should exist in you know, yeah. we figure, well, gravity will work. You know, we assume gravity will work there. We assume all these different things. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. we, assume, we, we assume even a causal chain, right? We assume that the way that we experience causality uh, makes sense everywhere. You know, it's it must be that way everywhere in the universe or for every being. And that might not be true. <laughs> you know, things uh, – I mean, one, one example that I read online that I thought was really fascinating actually was, uh, you know, what if these things – whatever they are, whatever these things are being that we're experiencing or some people are experiencing, um, you know, what if it's almost like the way that a, a camera lens views or puts out an image, right? So that if the shutter speed is different or incorrect, it's mistimed, or if it's just timed perfectly, you know, the, the helicopter blades will look like they're not spinning. Right. 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 A similar thing could be happening here, right? Just because the way that our brains perceive things makes sense to our brains a lot of the time doesn't mean that has to work all of the time. You know? Right. And, and, and when I, when I questioned her on it, I was like, what, like, what do you, do you really mean? Like gravity wouldn't be working at this one point in time. And she said, well, she goes, I do experiments all the time and I'll run an experiment 4,000 times, but one time it'll glitch. Right. And she's like, maybe it's just a glitch in gravity right there for that moment. You know, it's – I think what's kind of funny about this too is these things seem – what's the word? These things seem almost impossible I think to people who don't in, – in a mathematical sense, all of that makes sense in terms of the way we know that mathematical systems work. Right. So, you know, like the idea of a point um, – the idea of kind of an asymptote. The closer you get to a certain condition, the closer another variable that depends on it goes to infinity or negative infinity. 
we see that all the time in mathematics. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time we just assume that, well, they're, they're, you know, physical processes that seem to be modeled in these, you know, these logarithmic ways, um, you know, they'll never actually get to infinity, you know, right. or there's a physical limit on that boundary. But what if that's not true? You know, again, there's, there's just so much stuff we don't know. We've only, you know, we've only been, I don't know, man. We've only been wearing pants for like a thousand years. You know what I mean? Two thousand years. And I don't even know, man. Yeah, it's, oh, it's wild. So it, I guess in your entire, if you can say, because I understand, you know, uh, there's these NDAs and things, you know, in, in place. And honestly, I, I a lot of the times when I'll I'll talk to people, especially experiencers of UFO cases, and I'll tell them, you know, oh, I'm happy to sign an NDA, and they'll be like, well, why, why, why would you? And I'm like, didn't something terribly, tr-? you know, like that's kind of, right. to me almost it's like the first uh, the first hint that something, you know, maybe they're not in this for the right reasons. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, if I got plucked from my bed at night and an alien took me away, I don't know if I would tell my wife. You know, let let alone some some you know jackass with a podcast. And that's um, and that's that's an interesting point too because I work a lot with reality television shows, and uh, over the years they know that I have thirty years of collected files of different monster sightings, creature sightings, uh, UFO sightings, abductee reports, and stuff. And and so networks come to me a lot, and they're like, "Can you get us six people who will talk about their abduction?" And I'm like, "I can't." And they're like, oh, yeah. you don't, they're like, you don't have six? And I'm like, no, I have 600. But I, there's no one in there is going to talk on camera about their experience. Right. Nobody with – nobody with – it's the it's the problem of – I don't even know if there's an analogy for this. But it, it's, it is the problem of, you know, groups like, say, MUFON or groups like these other, you know, Bigfoot researchers or whatever that – you're completely correct, right? The draw of fame itself is in its own way a, um, I don't know. It's the well, biggest drive to make something up or to exaggerate or whatever. So when you get these good cases, a lot of the times the people are not willing to talk about it because something really scary happened to them. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they're, you know, it may not seem like the stigma is there. I mean, I'll never, um, uh, you know, I, I remember when my, uh, just even with illnesses, right? Yeah. People will get sick and they'll say, well, I don't want to tell people because I don't want them to treat me any differently, mm-hmm. you know? And that's a, that's a sickness, right? That's something physical that happened to you that you take medicine for. Right. And a doctor is like, this is real. This is happening to you. <laughs> right. you know, imagine if it was, you know, a demon is not letting me sleep or, you know, you think anything um, – I don't know. The societal impacts of that are so negative. Well, and I, I made this point at, at lectures for the past. Uh, I think it, the first time I talked about it in front of a crowd of people was maybe about 10 or 12 years ago. But I, I told them uh, because paranormal reality shows were hitting really, really hard in like 2009, 2008. I think there were about 11 to 12 paranormal reality shows on at that time because networks were just throwing money at it. And I said, this is going to go away for a little while because – What's going to happen is that people are going to start realizing that the hyperbolic nature of television, and they're going to start refusing to uh, 
talk about their real valid experiences, but be forewarned that it's going to go away and people with a personal integrity are going to refuse to do these shows and you will see a swell of new shows. And I told people then, I was like, I don't know when it's going to happen, but you'll see a swell of new shows when all of the people with integrity have refused to do shows. So the networks have found people that will say and do anything to be on television. Oh, you're not not a fan of the low files then, I'm guessing? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, man. That's quality television. That ghost said pie in the kitchen. That's that's evidence right there. Um, No, you're you're 100% correct. You know, and it's happened in it's happened in every one of these fields. You know, you know, my you and you know this because I'll I'll message you on Twitter exasperated. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But. The UFO subject has gone through this pretty tremendous shift in that direction. Yeah. I mean, gone through. I think it's been there for some time. But for some for some reason, the UFO subject seems to be one where seriousness is I mean, just generally lacking. <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't know, man. What what are your what are your general thoughts on the way things are going right now? What do you what do you think about um I mean, I, I mean, UFOs and the thing that I always talk about and the thing that a lot of people who are newer to the UFO phenomena and uh, what's going on right now, like the, one of the things I get yelled at a lot or, or screamed at about on Twitter is that I, I talk too much about the past. But I have to start with the past because the past is prologue. Like this has happened before, like UFOs were sighted. Uh, the military talked about it. Everybody saw them. Something was going to happen. Nothing happened. Uh, there was a lot of people who made up stories about them. It died off. Then another big UFO sighting would happen. The military would stop, say something about it. People would get excited. Something was going to happen. Nothing happened. People made stuff up about it, and then it went away. And I mean, this is like the fourth or fifth time since nineteen the nineteen forties when we've seen this happening. Just just this trend of how it works and how cyclical it is. And I tell people like, just be forewarned. This has happened before, and it will probably happen again. And we're getting to that point now, where now that the military has made some comments and people are really excited that something's going to happen, and. Probably, I mean, I'm, my guess is if it's going to follow the pattern it always has, in a year or two years, people will become heartbroken, but there will be a ton of completely outrageous claims being made by certain individuals to try and spark new life into it, but then everybody will give up and it'll die away again. Mm-hmm. It's one of one of the things we always talk about on the show is a really fascinating to me, at least, uh, you know, kind of same cycle like what you're talking about where the you know the more and more we learn about the natural world the less and less places there are for the supernatural to kind of exist and it's more of a i think it's more of a discussion about or more of a comment you know it's often read that what that means is that you know the sciences are uh, proving that the supernatural or the paranormal or whatever you want to call it is incorrect and so it's you know it can't exist in our world, but I actually think in some ways it's, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, at least in my mind, Mm -hmm. what's happening is, you know, a lot can happen in seven minutes. And luckily that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato and I'm the creator of seven minute stories. I'm proud to partner with evergreen podcasts 
and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. The better we get at rationalizing the world around us in terms of kind of a you know the paradigm that we exist in today, of sort of you know a material science. Uh, you know, our brains are just particles bouncing around, and if we could, you know, measure those particles correctly, we could predict the, all of our actions and whatever. You know, we're sort of making these things fit into a deterministic world. And I kind of think, interestingly, for the UFO subject at least, you know, and so before, you know, we go down that rabbit hole a little bit, you know, for the ghost hunting world, you know, we see this in, they're using ways to, me you know, you're measuring photons and, and electrons and, um you know, heat signatures and stuff. You're looking for physical evidence as opposed to like what you're saying, you know, treat this as a, as a singular event. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, treat this as a, as a case on its own that maybe can't be quantified, you know, maybe can't be measured in that way. In the UFO world, what's been really interesting, I think, is there's a really, there's a real uncomfortableness in kind of the, you know, you can talk about To The Stars Academy, you know, but I think generally amongst their fan base as well is what I've seen where, you know, fans, the fans of To The Stars Academy at least have had this view, I think, where they both want to be true, that this might be a non-physical phenomena. This might be psychic. It might be consciousness. It might be something else. But also that the military knows about it and it's creating actionable technologies around, <laughs> it. you know, and it's like, well, is it? You know, you can't catch lightning in a bottle. You know, it's like having, you know, oh, it's it's just so frustrating. I, I wonder if there isn't going to become a point where that's where the big schism will be, where you have people like, you know, Luis Elizondo and Bigelow and whoever saying, no, this is a physical thing. The military knows about it where, you know, whatever versus I think more of the Tom DeLong's where, no, it's a psychic thing. It's about consciousness. It's about you know what I mean? Do you do you find that dichotomy is happening, or do you do you feel that same frustration I feel there? Uh, yeah, but I mean, again, like I was saying earlier, like this is that exact topic that you're talking about has happened before. Like there was this huge faction that was ripped apart the UFO community when you had nuts and bolts people who were this is technology and this is craft and they're from Venus, and then you had a whole other half that were like you know the saucerers is what they were calling themselves or the 4D UFO people who were saying no this is something else this is interdimensional this is consciousness and they we've been through this and I it, it's interesting to me that. Maybe like To The Stars Academy is trying to marry the ideas, but I don't know. You can't just throw both of those ideas at a new group of people and expect them to say, oh, yeah, I can see how it's both the same thing. Because you do have to go through kind of an, an initiatory process with the thoughts. Like you have to make the personal like leap to maybe some of this isn't technology. Maybe some of the stuff is, maybe some of it isn't, but that's a personal thing that has to happen. And when, when people are just throwing the information at you, you're like, Whoa, this is way too much for me to handle right now. And so I think that's that kind of uh, psychological bend snaps a lot of people. And if they've already got all of their eggs in the basket over 
the the tic tac being you know a physical object then when someone from the same camp comes out and says but it was surrounded with a glow and it had an inner glow inside of it so it could have been a psychic projection like the people who were like wait a minute yesterday i thought it was made of something right and how right can we suddenly videotape psychic projections then you know like and then and then that that person becomes furious and they don't know who to be furious at and then they see someone like me who's like listen guys just you know read up and talk to people and have some conversations and listen to other conversations and you know maybe we can all get along and people are like no you're gatekeeping didn't you see what they said they said it was nuts and bolts and it could be a thought projection (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's uh man twitter really is just the worst of all it's the worst it's the just brings out the worst in people and it's a uh, it's especially no, true. not twitter not twitter it's especially true i think it's funny like politics and um politics and ufos man those are the big areas i feel like i get a lot of hate on twitter for other than that like sports you know movies all that other stuff seems pretty hunky-dory people are pretty nice generally you know um no one's ever called me a government shill because i you know didn't care for the last season of uh i don't know arrested development or something (laughs) (laughs) maybe i am though i don't know you know i'm I'm working for i'm working for uh i don't know each of the facts each of the factions get insane with each other i mean i see it sometimes if i post something about uh doing magic uh, I'll get a lot of religious tweets and, and people will bog me down. I mean, so, you know, it's it's clicks. People like to belong to their own, you know, little tribe of people who all think just like them. And if you're the interloper, you have to be destroyed. Yeah. it's and like, a- and like I've said before, and I think you and I might have had this discussion on Twitter or maybe I said it uh, to someone else on a podcast or somewhere. But I was saying, like, let's... I've never been against to the stars game. I've been against some of the way that they've done things and some of the people who are on their boards and things like that. But I genuinely would love a breakthrough in any of the like fringe fields, right? I genuinely want one. And if you make a breakthrough, that really is a paradigm shift that radically alters humanity and our fundamental basic reality understanding. We're not going to argue over if you were on the right team or not. Yep. Yeah. No, it's like true. That's, that's going to go away with that paradigm shift. You're, you're not going to say, nah, 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 I was on the same team when we are illuminated balls of light traversing the galaxy as pure consciousness. <laughs> right. You're, you're the guy on the ship who's like, none of this is even real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe any of this. This is garbage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really funny to me, I think. It's going to be very similar to... You know, if if it does happen, and that's I think another, you know, it's a big if, right? right. But it's gonna be it's gonna be the same way with you know when we shifted over from, you know, all those all the people who thought quantum mechanics was garbage or who thought you know germs, you know, the germ theory of disease was ridiculous. Um, you know, in ten years after the initial papers where it was proven that that you know it was working and it made sense, you know, suddenly they're uh, they're also doing that kind of research. And the other thing, too, is is accepting the science, right? So, like, one of the things that I find fascinating uh, on the ghost end of it is, like, the Psychical Research Society in the 1800s. You've got all these people studying spiritualism and seances and um, apparitions and ghosts. And as 
science proved that like, oh, you can have waking dreams. Oh, there's this kind of subconscious, unconscious mind that can, you can retain memories from your childhood that can be recalled at a later date in adulthood. Like the psychical researchers at the time were like, great, now we don't have to think about those things anymore. We can focus on these other things. And they accepted like, oh, good, we've, we've found something that answers these questions. That's good for us because now we don't have to waste our time on it anymore. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really happen that way anymore. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, it doesn't, it doesn't really happen that way. That's how you get called the, uh, you know, the, the term I I've, I lovingly use from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's how you get yourself called a stupid science bitch. Right. You know, that's, that's the way that happens. Right. I, I think it's I think it's a good point though because that really I wonder if that has happened in some ways to well. I, I oftentimes wonder about with the ghost with the ghost example, if in some ways that didn't happen to the detriment of that movement in general. Do you know what I mean? Because it seems to me that a lot of there are still, you know, there's still forums online. Like I remember being um I remember when I was in high school, I, I had a friend who was super into, you know, like uh waking dreams and trying to trying to access his subconscious memory, you know, all that kind of crap, right? And um he bought, I'll never forget. This is like a total aside here, but they, him and some other guy bought these, uh, these sleeping pills from Russia that, (laughs) you know, it was like, what it was supposed to do was it was supposed to let you have, um, like let you have a state of sleep, but still be awake or still be conscious of it. Right. So it was essentially like a pill for, uh, you know, dreaming, dreaming. Yeah. And instead what it ended up doing was it just made them like fall asleep in school. You know, that's all the did. It just be it just meant you didn't sleep at night at all, essentially. Um, and you know, uh, inevitably, I, I can't remember the exactness, but here I'm pretty sure what happened was they fell asleep in class. The teacher was like, "What the hell's going on?" And then they took the pills away from them. But anyways, um, the I wonder there is still that part of that though out there, right? The lucid dreaming part. We've just we've we've it's become more scientific, sure. right? But that aspect of exploring your consciousness or even say, you know, hallucinatory drugs, right? LSD and whatever. Um, that to me seems like it would still – to me, that seems like it would – it should still be considered in that same realm of things. But somehow the ghost community has never – has not managed to stay as cohesive and maybe it's because it's older. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it hasn't managed to really stay cohesive as, say, like the UFO community or the Bigfoot community or what have you. But I think I think a lot of that stems from like personal interest. So, like I said very early on, when I was saying like I died and recovered when I had my experience and stuff like that, like one of the first things I was doing. So I was going to college at the time, um, and at colleges, you know, you could at the time. I don't know if you can do it anymore. I haven't been to college in a long time, but you you could sign up for experiments, right? And so one of the things I did was. Um, I wanted to know what my mind had done to me and what had happened to my mind during my, my death experience. And so I signed up for doing, you know, uh, 15 to 20 hours in a, in an isolation tank. I, I signed up to do, you know, 30 hours of sleep deprivation with no micro sleeps. Like I, I, I joined magicians guild and guilds of illusionists, the society of American magicians and all this stuff. Like I wanted to see what my mind could do. That's the type of person I am. Like before I 
start to explore other people's experiences. Like I have to explore mine. I have to see what my mind is capable of before I can even start to talk to people about what their minds might possibly be capable of. And I don't think people are really that interested. Like they want to find ghosts. They want to find UFOs. They want to see aliens. The end. Well, it's, it's part of that. It's a fascinating, it's always a fascinating class in kind of, you know, undergraduate philosophy where, you first introduce to people the idea that other people might not, their brain might literally not function the same way yours does. Right. You know, like the way that when, when you have a thought, right. When you think about say like, a, you know, the red ball, does your, does your mind envision it as a red ball? Is it a sentence? Is it the sound of it? What is the way that your mind cognates that? Right. Is it sitting on a table? Is it rolling? Exactly. When you imagine yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, all of those things, right? Like it's it's really fascinating, and I, I'll, you know, and then when you finally do meet someone, you know, there's a guy that I'm still friends with, uh, who I met in grad school, who, you know, we we joke like, oh, you can't carry a tune. He legitimately cannot hear musical like tones. Right. Like, he can't get melody at all. He can get beat and tempo and you know all of that, but if you asked him to you know hum you the tune to Seven Nation Army, he couldn't do it. Right. You, do it, you know, um, that kind of thing is so fascinating to people, but we just assume that everyone else's brain works the same way. Yeah. I, I when I was, uh, in the late nineties, I was, um, working at a junior high and I was a para pro for kids with learning disabilities. And so one of my students who was highly autistic seventh grader, and I was supposed to work on him with getting him to be able to do his alphabet because when he did his alphabet, You'd say, you know, uh, do, do your alphabet for me. And he would go Z, M, N, L, J, E, F, G. And they were, they were like, you just got to work on him with, to get his alphabet right. And, and like the third day that I was working with him, I said, okay, do your alphabet. And he did his alphabet and I wrote it down. I said, okay, do your alphabet again. He did his alphabet again. And he did it different. And he did it again. And he did it different. He did it like 10 times and he different, did it different. And it was then that I realized that he wasn't repeating any of the letters. He was doing the entire alphabet. He was just doing it in a different order every single time, not missing or repeating any letters. That's so interesting. And I was like, this kid, why are we trying to make him as dumb as we are? Right, yeah, this kid is a computer. He has yeah. an algorithm in a, in a brain. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. It's it, Man, we have a long I, – I wonder if part of – so – do you think that that is in some ways, because this is kind of my view. I think that that is what is happening to these experiences in some way that we are, uh, you know, we're, we're almost, we're creating bastardizations of the initial experience by trying to put these, you know, and, and honestly, it sounds hilarious coming from someone who, you know, I, I am still pouring over these databases of sightings to do, you know, statistics on them. Right. To see it patterns and things um so it's kind of you know it's i get it right it's that's I, hilarious I do, I, but I, it's funny because i do the same thing with occult writing like with magical writings like i'm pouring over these huge data sets that have been collected over 130 years of magic practitioners and witches and trying to find a cohesive like data set in it well so that's that's the, that's i think the part that i'm kind of wondering about then is how can the, you know how can those two things I get you can take the experience on its own, right? You can take it on its own face value and you can see the experience for what it is. 
but at the same time you can you can do the data analysis and things but i do wonder and i kind of i worry about this too that it's sort of you know one of those examples where you know you're missing you're missing the the forest for the trees right, right? we're focusing on these little nuances you know oh the goat you know ghost shows drive me crazy with this where oh my my e-meter is lighting up or whatever and it's like do you really think if you caught a ghost and all the ghost was was an electrical signal, wouldn't you be disappointed in that? <laughs> that would suck. That would be terrible. I would hate, you know, I want my ghost to be like a full-bodied apparition. You know what I mean? Able to do stuff. So I'll tell you what. This is uh, something that's just kind of I always thought was really funny. So one of the shows I worked on was the show called Ghost Stalkers, which is a, the worst name ever for a ghost show. But And I hated it and had no choice in it, but whatever. But on the show itself, because people use all of this stuff from Home Depot to try and catch a ghost, I uh, was talking to this other guy, and we created something that we were, at the time, we were calling it the Quadrilator, right? So it was this, it was these four stands that could be set up in a small area, and they recorded and measured on a normal computer, not an app, just that we had a big, crazy computer, and it would look at um, gamma radiation, um, uh, just, uh, I'm trying to think, electromagnetic fields, uh, temperature, humidity. Uh, there were, I don't know why we were calling it, I think it was the quadrilator because it was four poles that the, the instruments were on. But it, it was collecting like 12 pieces of environmental data. And then we would try and, and have a ghost experience in the middle of those four poles and record it and see if we could get all of those environmental aspects to change at one time, which I think is kind of interesting. Right. Like maybe maybe something has to all change. And the, the television network was like, we hate it. We don't understand it. It's too difficult to explain. You can't explain to people. And I was like, but we filmed an episode using it. And they're like, OK. And when the episode came out, they called it a wormhole detector. <laughs> of course they did. Of course. Right. Yep. So all of a sudden, like, people are ripping me apart, like, you can't create wormholes, and wormholes aren't created, and you could never, like, do it on Earth, and all blah, 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 and this is pseudoscience, and I'm like, no, but that's not what we were trying to do at all. If you listen to the show and watch what we're doing, we're just trying to track an environmental change in a localized area. Like, there's nothing crazy about that, especially if a voice comes through, or the temperature changes, and you feel a touch, or you see an apparition. Did the environment change? Did something allow extra information to come into our environment and 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 the networks were like that's just boring even if you could show that there was a local change in like you know humidity right yeah, yeah. that's something interesting that's something that one of the most i think for me as a scientist one of the biggest frustrations about all of these different you know researchers researches you know these these uh, ghost hunts these ufo hunts whatever is that Things like that, those kinds of ideas never really seem to take off. Nope, not now, at all. There, <laughs> there was one for there was one for a you know, I'm not gonna say the UFO organization, um, but it's one that I was I was I was working for. Um and you know, there was this camera project that had been stalled for like, you know, a year and a half, two years, because these guys couldn't get funding to put a 24 hour camera with all these other sensors up on a mountain where, you know, UFO sightings have been happening for decades. Right. Um, like, Oh, we'd rather pay for bull crap. You know, like that's, that's it's, it, you know, they might catch nothing, but right. at least that's actionable content that you can point to and say, look, 
we did this, right? We actually analyzed and, and researched something here. Oh, it drives me crazy. Really, uh, really quickly, on the same show, they asked me, what experiment do you want to do? What piece of equipment do you want that we can use on a ghost show that's never been used before that you think would be interesting for people to watch and might actually uh, be of interest to people in the field? And I said, okay, listen. We have to rent it because it's too expensive, and it costs about $50,000 to rent it. Uh, but what I want is I want to go to Boeing Lockheed Martin, and they have a camera that they point at airplanes that visualizes sound. And they use it on planes to look at bolts shaking or a loose panel on a plane. And I said, what I want to do is I want to use that on a ghost hunt, because if EVPs of voices of ghosts are coming from somewhere and we have this pointed in a room, we should see where it manifests from. Absolutely. And I thought that would be a really interesting thing to do on television. And they said, well, we're already spending like $30,000 on the RV. <laughs> Damn RV. So so once again, denied watching something interesting that might even be interesting to people with a more scientific slant and might have been able to disprove some things that people have been doing on ghost hunting shows for years and years and years, but there's no interest in doing that. The interest is in scaring people and, and you know, giving people the heebie-jeebies. What I would always – I would honestly love to see is essentially – you know, we can we can actually get and again, people hate the word debunking. You know, that's a whole big thing. But like you said, with the with the ghost hunting or the spiritualism movement, there are ideas that we could just get rid of. <laughs> you know, we, we could stop talking about stuff. And I mean, you would think that and then, you know, the alien autopsy video comes back and you're like, crap. But, you know, there there are things we could stop worrying about or stop thinking about and and focus on more. um you know, the way I explain it to people or I try to explain it is, you know, if you think that one area, you know, maybe it's got a 10 percent shot of being right. But then you look at an area and you find out, oh, my God, this looks like, you know, 50 percent. Wouldn't you want to focus on the area that you think has a higher hit rate of being correct or at least at least, pa you know, passes yeah. more checkbox. Right. Yeah, I, uh, like, like, I'll tell you what, this is kind of funny because. Uh, this is not, probably now like seven or eight years ago, a, bu a bunch of different networks were all trying to kind of Cinderella me, like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? We want to make a show with you. We like you. We think you're smart. We've got good case files. Like, uh, people seem to like you. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I said, I want to do uh, a paranormal version of Mythbusters. I want Absolutely. us. I want us to talk to scientists on how we can recreate the phenomena or how we can explain the phenomena in a way that... Uh, might be possible and also explore the ones that we couldn't recreate and the ones that we can't recreate. And they were like, we love it. We love it. We love it. And then uh, there was a certain person and word started going around the network and was like, uh, it was actually three different networks. It went through all three networks. This person kind of said, you know, if you do this show, you can never do paranormal reality shows again. <laughs> Which is such crap. Because of course you could. Of course right. you could. But they got so scared they were like, oh yeah, we, we don't want to do that at all. <laughs> We've already got Giorgio locked down for a seven-year free run. Right. You know, we, can't, we can't get off of that. That's so frustrating, man. You know, the closest the closest I've ever seen to a show that's done that is Factor or Factor Fake Paranormal Files. Yeah. But even that one, it was more about could you fake it, right? right. Not 
you know, to me, we we have we kind of talk about this a lot. Marie and I, when we're just kind of bullshitting back and forth, we'll say, you know, well, what would you do if if you could have a house that you knew was haunted or you thought was haunted at least, and you could test it? What would you do? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and for me, actually, one that I think would be really interesting is uh, filling up one of the rooms with a heavy gas, okay, and seeing if it changes the voice you get. Okay, so on Ghost Stalkers. One of the experiments that we did was in this uh, mortuary room. We filled it with, uh, it it was very cheaply done, but to me it made sense at the time and I was working on a budget. But we filled the room with heavy, low-hanging fog from a fog machine. And then we ran a laser grid across the top of the fog. Sure. And so, and so we were looking to see if any there were any swirls, if it would move in a certain way, if it would disrupt, if you could, because you would see the fog come up above the laser grid, right? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, if if something is moving toward me, it should be having some interaction, like it should be disrupting the laser, or it should be moving the fog, or something. And we we actually did that on the show, and it was actually quite interesting that we did find that when there was a feeling of something happening, we tended to see the, the, the fog actually go into these tiny little spiral swirls. It didn't prove anything, but it was interesting, and we did it once, and then because it's a show, you never do it again, so you don't really have any data for it. Right. Your test is your test is ruined. But no, that's the, that's the kind of thing that should be happening on these, right? Or, you know, maybe not on TV, but, you know, that probably cost, like, maybe 200 bucks. Oh, yeah, for you know sure. What I mean? Like it's not uh, – that's the kind of testing that could be done out there if there, just, if there was just some, I don't know, coordination, yeah. <laughs> you know, some way of people getting together. All right. Before here, we've been kept for too long. I do want to talk about the elephant in the room for this uh, month's load of episodes of the Mad Scientist podcast. Robert Bigelow, man. All right. What do so you think? We're, we're ending on a big note. We are. <laughs> As as Rob from Our Strange Skies calls him, Big Bobby B. Big Bobby uh, B. Bobby B. Man, so well, we're. I'm, I'm glad that a lot of probably taxpayer money and a lot of people who have really believed in disclosure. Uh, I'm really happy to see that they now have an orb video. <laughs> Finally. Finally. <laughs> taxpayers finally we finally have our own orb video man um yeah what the heck was up with that i mean it's 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 outrageous first of all in the sense that like one of my big problems is the drip of disclosure right like if you have information like you need to tell people that i mean i know that people are soft disclosure and long disclosure and you have to warm people up to it and people have been been warmed up to the idea of aliens now for almost 70 years like people are warmed up to it i got in a conversation at a ufo convention this weekend where there was a guy arguing with me that uh but there's still religious people around the world the islamic faith uh would collapse uh we're not just talking about christianity and i said so wait i I told him i said so do you really believe that People who have a story about a guy who jumps on a horse and flies into outer space are going to have more difficulty than people who think a snake told a woman to eat an apple. <laughs> or, or I mean, the the argument that the world is not ready for disclosure, people would freak out or whatever. 
Like, are you kidding me? You know, when I think about how quickly society changes to new things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Ten years ago, like like Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger was was governor. <laughs> right. You know I mean? Donald Trump was president. Shit happens quickly and people get used to it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Things are weird. If you told me, you know, ten years ago even that I'd be watching YouTube videos of people playing video games while I'm in the bathtub on, on a little computer thingy. You know what I mean? I would have thought, I mean, maybe not 10 years ago, but 20 years ago, I would have thought you were crazy. Yeah. You know, so, humans so, are so resilient. Yes, absolutely. And so to do something like release a very weird, low light, uh, sketchy looking video of a video, which I mean, that's the other thing too, is I hear, hear right. people saying like, oh, they Bigelow released a video. He released a video of a video. Right. So not even the actual video and to not tell anybody what it means and just allow the groups to interfight about it. And then this is the person that you're going to say is you want to be responsible for disclosure. <laughs> right. Throwing the meat to the wolves yeah. and letting them, letting them fight it out. It's what I think is really interesting is it's a weird kind of uh, maybe not lineization, but you know, if you talk to some of the old members of MUFON, right? You know, people that have been there for again like 20, 30 years, even if you talk to them about Robert Bigelow, they think that he is a tremendous jerk. You know, they they talk about you know him buying cases and him, um, you know, hiding things and taking evidence and you know, uh, I mean, essentially. Uh, I mean, what's the word even kind of, I don't know, ruining or corrupting MUFON, you know, at the top and making it an, a, an impossible organization to do anything with now. Um, on the other hand, though, online, because of his association with Do The Stars Academy, it's his image has kind of been re, you know, refurbished, you know, in a way, which is interesting because, you know, to me, I mean, and that's kind of the biggest, the biggest sign in my mind of, you know, kind of uh, cult like thinking, right, is, you know, negative associations of the dear leader does nothing to change your opinion of the leader. It just makes that other person seem cool again. Right. Um, you know, I, I wonder though, if one of the things I always wonder about with this is, do you, do you think just from all of your years doing this, do you think that he is genuine in his belief? I think that he has a genuine interest in something and I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm trying, that, yeah. I'm trying to be as nice as possible, but the thing is, is the other thing is too, is, you know, I've had conversations with people and they're like, well, maybe he was like that at one time, but people change. And sure, yes, obviously people change, but as they get older, it becomes more and more difficult to change. And there are a lot of people on the staff of To The Stars Academy who are old men and it, I'm telling you from someone who lives with his father, who's a 70-year-old man. My dad is not doing radical paradigm shift thought changes at this state in his life. He has lived 70 years thinking about things in a certain manner, and he's not changing anytime soon. And so, sure, Bigelow can change. I'm sure that all people can make shifts. I've made shifts over the past 30 years, but I started shifting my ideas and thoughts when I was in my 20s and 30s and 40s. And now I'm moving into my 50s and I find myself getting a little more crotchety and it's a little bit harder to be flexible with my thoughts. And I struggle with that every single day. But 
I've never had a rigid belief system. And I think that Bigelow did have that rigid belief system at one time, and it's very difficult for him to break away from. Plus, I think he wants to build a space hotel. He definitely wants to build a space hotel. That seems to be the <laughs> one consistent thing this entire time has been space hotel, uh, you know, space hotel and buying spooky ranches. Yeah. That's kind of been his effort this whole time. Yeah, you know, I, I actually – I often wonder about – you know, I often wonder if his interest in this is not more – I hesitate to call it religious, but I guess spiritual, sure. you know, because – it seems to me that someone would not have bought, maybe not bought, but, you know, just think about the people that he's kind of surrounded himself with throughout his career, right? It was, you know, uh, like Hal Pudoff is a perfect example. Yeah. You know, starting from kind of psychic research, you mm-hmm. know, and even being involved in, you know, um, non-traditional religious systems, you know, and all that other kind of stuff. And it's like that, that to me is an interesting part of this story, you know, I think people assume that he thinks that these are nuts and bolts UFOs. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if we should assume that. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, years and years ago, one of the things I did after I had my death experience was I joined the International Association of Near-Death Studies. And being a UFO researcher, quickly realized that Bigelow was giving them money too. Yeah. See, and that's and and, and that is, I think, a... I think he's a guy – I think he is a person out there looking for something else. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like I I don't know. And I think in that way actually he's I think very similar to a lot of us interested in this. You know? I would be surprised – I guess this is kind of an ending thought here. I would be surprised if in a conversation with Robert Bigelow he wasn't more similar to kind of the beliefs that we're talking about here today – than a diehard, they got aliens at Dolce Base kind of believer. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. I think that most people are. I think that when you sit down, right back, then this circles back around to how we began. I think that when you sit down with someone and you sit across from them and look them in the eye and you have deep, meaningful, constructive conversations, you realize we're not so different. Absolutely. And that's a great, it's a great way to end it, man. I think so. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks you know, for it's having been, me. Have you on. We've got to have you on again here again soon. Uh, listeners, again, we have been talking with John E.L. Tenney, uh, friend of the show, overall, just total badass. Uh, man, anything you want to plug, anything you got going on here that you want people to go check out? No, everything for me is pretty easy to find. If you just Google John E.L. Tenney, it leads you to my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, weirdlectures.com, all that stuff. I think the only – here's my ending comment to your listeners, right? Um, the only super kind of solid idea I have about any strange phenomena is whether or not you believe in ghosts or UFOs or Bigfoot or monsters – I implore people, you don't have to believe in it, but listen to it because it's really fucking fun. Yeah, absolutely, man. And we should make it fun again. Absolutely. This stuff is so fun. It's so damn cool. (laughs) All right. Thanks again. And thank you listeners for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. We'll be back again uh, next week with something else spooky here for Halloween. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at 
Mad Scientist Pod or at Team Giant Squid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.